It's an exciting time to be in Birmingham. The cityscape is changing dramatically. New opportunities are being created in global marketplaces and a multi-ethnic and culturally diverse population is shaping the city's present and future. This rapid change is also a good time to reflect on the history of the city, how we got to where we are now. A new beautifully produced and informative book, Birmingham, the Workshop of the World, traces the city's story from prehistoric times via the medieval and early modern town to the post-1700 period of rapid growth and dynamic changes in industry, politics, education, medicine and cultural life. Written by local archaeologists and historians, this is the first detailed and comprehensive history of Birmingham for several decades. They focus on how and why Birmingham developed and the activities of local people who experienced life in the city and transformed it up until and including the 21st century. The book is an up-to-date narrative based on research in local archives and museums as well as the local landscape. It is illustrated with colour and black and white images which illuminate the printed page and bring the past to life. With his co-editor, Malcolm Dick, director of the Centre of West Midlands History, Birmingham historian and author Carl Chin discusses how the book began. Liverpool University Press is a prestigious and award-winning publisher and a few years ago they approached me to see if I'd be interested in editing a history of Birmingham, a major history of Birmingham. So for me as a very proud Bromley, but also as a historian of Birmingham, it was exciting to be approached by LUP and to be asked to be involved in a book that would bring to the fore lots of new research about Birmingham. I realised immediately that the task of editing would be a big task and that I would really need the help of an expert, somebody who was highly skilled in editing, and I could think of nobody better than a colleague at the University of Birmingham, Dr Malcolm Dick, and I'm delighted that the two of us worked so effectively together in bringing the book about. We had a number of aims in creating the book. First of all, we wanted to make sure it reflected up-to-date and recent research in the history of Birmingham. We also wanted to make sure that it did things that other histories hadn't done. And one of the things that it did was to explore the history of Birmingham from prehistoric times right up to the present. So Birmingham history in its entirety was covered. We also wanted to make sure that the book was accessible and wasn't just written for scholars. So we invited people who could write in a way that would draw attention to recent research, but using language and drawing attention to issues that were real for people in Birmingham today. For both Malcolm and I, it was very important that we brought the new research and new interpretations of Birmingham to as wide an audience as possible, at the same time as being as scholarly as possible. The last major histories of Birmingham were written by Comrade Gill, Asa Briggs, and later on by Sutcliffe and Smith. And the third volume came out in the 70s. So it's a long time since there'd been a major history of Birmingham. And like so many histories of the past, those histories, whilst groundbreaking and innovative for their time, reflected their time in that they were top-down approaches. 
very much male orientated, very much great men orientated. And both Malcolm and I wanted to reflect the new move forward in history since the 70s, which was much more democratic, much more egalitarian, was looking at all of the peoples, the poor as well as the rich, was looking at women as much as men and wanted to make sure that we also addressed another major issue in Birmingham's more recent research in that Birmingham's growth was not revolutionary. It didn't just suddenly emerge with the Industrial Revolution. It was evolutionary and it began with the market charter of 1166. One thing about the book that we were very keen to promote is how Writing history requires the use of a wide variety of forms of evidence. Many of the previous histories of Birmingham had a very limited set of reference points in terms of primary sources, usually archival or printed primary sources. Here, we're very firmly focusing upon archaeological research, artefacts, maps, oral history. It's been exciting for the two of us in that not only did we seek to look at Birmingham's history in a more innovative, accessible and wide-ranging manner, but we wanted that to also be reflected in the sources. So as Malcolm said, it's not only the documentary sources, it's sources such as the spoken word. It's sources such as working-class people's letters and memories passed on. It's illustrations, not just using them to say, oh, that looks nice, but to use them as sources in their own right. Yes, it was very, very important that we offered different perspectives on Birmingham. One of the issues where a lot of research still needs to be done is on Birmingham as a global city. And the book was attempting to do that in many ways, but we're conscious that more needs to be done. It was important to look at Birmingham's people broadly to consider ethnicity and community as central to Birmingham's history, to draw attention to education, printing, medicine, areas that had many ways just been a focal point for specialist historians. And another important issue, we wanted the book to be very well illustrated. Images are a form of historical evidence and also images provide an entry into the past much more powerful in many respects than words. We're very grateful to Elaine Mitchell for uh, acting as picture editor for the book and the quality of the images and the appropriateness of the images relate very much to her professional expertise. And that leads us into a number of other issues. The book is great to look at, and I think it's a wonderful read, but it wouldn't have been possible in the quality that it achieved without the support of our sponsors. And Birmingham City Council invested in the project, the University of Birmingham invested in the project, and so did History West Midlands, uh, supported Elaine's work to engage professionally in the images of the book. One of the biggest tasks that we were faced with, however, was what to include and what to leave out. There were many different themes that we could have 
taken. But in the end, we thought for the earlier part of the book, it was important to adopt a more chronological approach because people have had this belief that there was no prehistory to Birmingham. There was no early medieval history to Birmingham. And the chapters by Steve Bassett and Dick Holt and by Mike Hodder show how important Birmingham was in the later Middle Ages and the fact that we have got this long connection with prehistory. One of the big gaps that we still have in our approach to a chronological history of Birmingham is looking at the period after the Restoration, the late 17th and early 18th centuries, when many of us believe the foundations were laid for Birmingham's takeoff in the Industrial Revolution. And Richard Custard and Hughes have done a really sterling job in bringing to the fore what little evidence there is from that period and making highly suggestive inferences about how Birmingham develops. Thereafter, it was much more a thematic approach with Malcolm looking at industrialization, with myself looking at the peoples of Birmingham and Malcolm, you can pick up on some of the other people that were involved. It was very difficult for us to decide on the themes. There were certain obvious ones. One is the economy, one the peoples of Birmingham, as Carl said. But also, we had to do justice to the politics of Birmingham. So we got Roger Ward, who had written a very effective overview of modern Birmingham political history to produce his chapter on Birmingham, a political profile, 1700 to 1940. We also appreciated the importance of education to Birmingham. In many ways, a number of innovative educational activities have been pursued in Birmingham. As well, the history of Birmingham over a few hundred years has revealed a movement from a very limited set of institutional provision to something that's very extensive from early years up to the number of universities we have at the present in the city. So Professor Ruth Watts, in the policy and practice of enlightened education, provided an an exploration of a wide range of themes, bringing together extensive research which she and others have conducted. Another important theme was art, design and architecture. This could have operated in a number of different ways. Sally Hoban, who has conducted, again, research, particularly on women in art and design and on the arts and crafts movement, provided an overview of key artists, key institutions like the Birmingham School of Art and key buildings. Professor Jonathan Reinartz at the university produced a study called Industry and Illness, Investing in Health and the Medical Profession. And his work, again, brings together a lot of disparate investigation, including substantially by himself. Birmingham's been and is a particularly important centre for a variety of healthcare initiatives. Caroline Archer-Parre explored printing and the printed word. Her chapter covered broadly Birmingham's experience to focus not just on the great names like John Baskerville, but the work of the School of Printing in Birmingham, the work of women printers, the importance of newspapers... Matt Cole produced a study of the transformation of post-war Birmingham, 
to look at the way in which the city centre has changed. And Carl, you might want to say something about your final chapter. With regard to the two chapters I wrote, the first chapter on the peoples of Birmingham, I wanted to approach the story of Birmingham through its people not just the big names, the Boltons, the Watts, the Murdochs, the Chamberlains, but the working class. And for me, class, gender, ethnicity are crucial issues that we need to address throughout history. And I wanted to take it back as far as possible to the later Middle Ages, finding out where the people of Birmingham had come from and bringing it up to date, looking at the transformation of Birmingham from a very English city, indeed a very Warwickshire English city, as late as 1951, to today being one of the most diverse cities in Western Europe and with the youngest population of any great city in Western Europe. And that's been a remarkable transformation, but it's built on long-term trends of migration to Birmingham from the later Middle Ages, when most migrants were like my family, drawn from nearby, but gradually Birmingham's magnetic appeal spread wider and wider. And from the mid-19th century, there were Irish and Italians and Jews and a few Germans and a few other people coming to Birmingham. And in the 20th century, that range from which Birmingham has drawn its people has expanded massively. And it was important to show the breadth of that diversity, but also the unity, the fact that there are many peoples in Birmingham, but we're all Brummies, that we're all part of Birmingham. The last chapter was very much looking at Birmingham after the period where Matt Cole was finishing in the late 70s, looking at the problems that Birmingham has been faced with since the decline of manufacturing in the 80s, and the way in which the council and business bodies and others have sought to address a massive loss of jobs and a move away from a high wage, low unemployment economy in 10 years from 79 to 89 to a high unemployment, low wage economy. There are still major problems in Birmingham and there are large areas of deprivation. Birmingham has some of the worst deprivation levels in the country, but there are also lots of things happening with regard to regenerating Birmingham, such as the gateway of New Street, such as Brindley Place and around Broad Street. The big challenge, I think, for the council and business authorities in the immediate years ahead is to reach out to the working class neighbourhoods of East and North Birmingham, the white working class neighbourhoods, the inner city neighbourhoods of Kashmiri and Muslim Brummies, of African Caribbean Brummies and the newer communities of Kurds and Somalis who've come to Birmingham and create high-profile jobs, well-paid jobs for those communities and that the new jobs in banking, which are important, are not just going to outsiders. So there's hope, but there's also a note of caution in that chapter. That's right. And we are fully aware as historians that history is a moving frontier and our book shouldn't be seen as a definitive history in any way. It does provide an insight into a huge range of themes. But there are many more that deserve exploration. We would have liked to have included a chapter on leisure and popular culture. But the academic who was invited to write that unfortunately died before he could complete his chapter. So the book is dedicated to Dr Chris Upton. And it's sad we weren't able to include that. We could 
ideally have included a chapter on the changing topography of Birmingham. Now, the changing urban landscape is something that emerges in, in other chapters, but it might deserve special mention. And one important theme, which uh, I only touched on in my chapter, is Birmingham's connection with the British Empire. And it would be great to see additional historical research into this subject, which links together the investigation of Birmingham's connection with the slave trade and slavery, but also with uh, Britain's developing imperial agenda in the 18th, 19th and early 20th centuries. Tell us a bit more about your own chapter, Malcolm, because it covers a crucial period in Birmingham's history. And again, like myself, you wanted to not negate the importance of big figures like Watt, etc., but you wanted to make it a broader approach, didn't you? I did. My chapter, The City of a Thousand Trades, explored Birmingham's commercial and industrial history from about 1700 to about 1945. Immediately when those years are presented, you can see how much ought to be covered. There's the so-called Industrial Revolution, not easy to define, but a huge subject as far as Birmingham is concerned. I could have written a chapter simply on Birmingham and the Industrial Revolution. There's also the impact of 19th century changes. You've got Birmingham and the Great Exhibition. And it's very, very easy to write a history of Birmingham by writing about great men who have become heroes, or so-called heroes, of Birmingham's development as a town and city. But it was important to look at work and the experience of the working classes. Ideally, I would have liked to have done more on that, but there are a few insights. There's the role that women played in business in different respects, how you can't understand Birmingham industry and commerce without relating it to the impact that migrants made on the city. There's also the fundamental impact of both of the two world wars on Birmingham. Again, there's major industrial history still to be written about the way in which the two wars, particularly the First World War, shaped Birmingham economically. So I was able to provide some tasters, some insights into a variety of themes, hopefully still doing justice to those who can be seen as the founders of industrial Birmingham, the Boltons and the Watts and so on, but also to draw attention to what is a more complex history of the city of a thousand trades. The key, I think, for both of us is that we want people to engage with the history of Birmingham. This is not, as Malcolm said, a definitive history, but it is a history, we hope, to engage the attention of people, to draw people in to find out more about the city in which we live and hopefully spur on younger researchers to open up other avenues of research that we haven't addressed. Both Carl and I and also the individual authors will be delighted if people pick up the book and say, well, we ought to look more closely at this subject, say it's Birmingham and the British Empire or the role of women or the contribution of ethnic communities to Birmingham politics or 
how we might interpret the changing landscape of Birmingham. There's a lot more that can be done and should be done. And in 10, 15, 20 years, when this book is matured and sitting on a lot of shelves, there'll be room for another history of Birmingham, which hopefully will address different themes in different ways. Birmingham, the workshop of the world, edited by Carl Chin and Malcolm Dick, is available at www.historywm.com, Amazon and bookshops. <laughs> <laughs>